You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. Ho, ho, ho. I'm Angie. I think we're just going to play this for the whole podcast, Andrew. I think uh, listeners would appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me fade it down on my phone. Okay. So uh, we are heading into the holiday season, and we thought this would be an awesome time to cover an animal that we all love. Notorious animal. Very notorious with uh, a jolly old man who wears a red suit. Anybody know who we're talking yeah, about? I don't know. He comes and delivers presents to uh, all the na- the nice boys and girls, not the naughty ones. He likes cookies. So Angie's getting coal this year, but I know. Uh, <laughs> it's, but I'm getting lots of presents. I, I hope. I hope. No. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, Santa's favorite, the reindeer. The reindeer, yeah! Yeah, what an awesome idea. And Angie, I, I got to give credit where credit's due. Angie was like, "We need to do this for the Christmas uh, time of year." So I think this is this is a perfect podcast. Yes, it's very seasonal, and I get the benefit of talking about an animal with hooves. antlers and hooves. Yeah. And hooves, yeah. yeah. My criteria is always hoof, horns, or antlers. That's right. Yeah. So today we're focusing in on the antlers, which is very, very, oh, very yeah. exciting. Antlers for are me. awesome. Antlers are awesome. So you want to stay tuned because at the end. You know, and your kids are want to hear this too about how Santa decided to switch over to reindeer because reindeer are awesome and, and you're going to learn a lot about them over the next hour and what makes them so special. And they're probably going to become one of your favorite animals yeah. if you stay tuned. Yeah, you should already love them anyway. Yeah, I mean, we all love you? Rudolph and, and all the other ones. So, you know, looking at reindeer, what is a reindeer? You know, I, you always just thought you always associate reindeer with Santa and Christmas. So, about reindeer. Like, we don't know, probably a lot of people don't know about reindeer. Yeah, they have a lot of really cool adaptations that allow them to live in really cold climates. Yeah, I mean, some of the most extreme climates on Earth. Yeah, for all my friends out there in Chicago that I've done many Chicago winters with. Oh, God. It's like that yeah. times 
a lot. A million. Yeah, yeah. no, I couldn't survive. It, it, it's uh, like our friend Danielle, who's from Canada. Make tough, just, tough oh, people yeah. survive. Tough, 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 tough. So reindeer, which is really cool because, you know, we decided to do this and I was like, well, you know, I know about caribou a little bit, going to some conferences and talking about caribou reproduction and some of the special specializations with them, especially with living at the extremes at, at the North Pole. But basically reindeer and caribou are almost the same species. They're the same species, but two different subspecies. So if that makes any sense, I don't know. No, that definitely makes yeah. sense as far as the subspecies. Depends a little bit more on where they're living mm-hmm. and what what types of areas they're specializing in. And then they're going to have some minor subtleties between them as far as their fur, right. how how dense it is. Um, they might their size. There right. might be a little bit different yeah. in size. Different in size. So uh, maybe and some behavior differences right. too. Right. Yeah. So there's not a lot like we we did the the one that comes to my head is is the leopard. So we did, and there's like nine different subspecies of leopard, the Javan leopard, the Amir uh, leopard, the, you know, and then the African leopard. So they're, they're all subspecies. So with reindeer and caribou, they're, they're, they're subspecies of rangifer terrandus. A plus. Good job, Chris. Me and my scientific names. But again, different uh, subspecies. Now, generally in North America, we distinguish reindeer and caribou. Some people in Asia and Europe may say, hey, that's caribou, and, and that may be technically right. I don't know. I don't think so. But in North America, just because the caribou are generally recognized to only be found in North America, you Correct. know, throughout Canada and through up into Greenland. So that's their kind of range where reindeer are predominantly in Asia, Europe, and then were reintroduced to Americas a couple hundred years ago. So they are definitely uh, – two different subspecies. Now what's interesting about reindeer, they're not fully domesticated, but they're semi-domesticated. Yeah. I think semi is the best word to use. They're not a traditional domesticated animal as we would maybe think of a cow or a horse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or traditional horse or chicken, Mm -hmm. your favorite chicken. (laughs) It's like, we've been talking about that chicken for like two years. (laughs) The next next few years we do this podcast, we're always going to come back to that chicken that tried to kill. Oh, I've got other stories though. Just stay tuned (laughs) listeners. So yeah, so for for the, about the past two thousand years, reindeer have been domesticated or are tr- attempted to be tamed and domesticated to pull sleighs in northern Europe and also in northern Asia. You know, the Laplanders and and people in Siberia that live out on the the taiga and tundra, and they have reindeer as their domesticated stock that pull them around. So there's some really cool stuff that they do out there. Also use them for meat. Sure. You know, yeah, multi-purpose. Yeah. So mm-hmm. not only do they pull sleighs and things like that, but they, they can be eaten. Now, not Santa's reindeer. Oh, no, His no, His reindeer no. are not to be eaten because they're special. They fly. I mean, come on. You know, you can't eat a flying reindeer. But the other type of reindeer can, can be good good food for a lot of people. The reindeer in Asia and Europe, there are still some small, truly wild populations where they're on their own. You know, not have not been influenced by humans or they've been re-released to the wild, kind of like with our wild horses in America. But most of them are, are kind of held uh, with that. Now what a lot of DNA studies, you know, going back to our favorite mitochondria DNA or any DNA stuff. That's what, you know, go back to the elephants, listen to the first 10 minutes. Don't put you to sleep, but kind of explaining what maternal DNA is and how we use that. Right. It tells us a lot about our history. So they've done a lot of DNA studies on reindeer and caribou, and they're definitely different. 
So we, we, we definitely have done that. And when they, they kind of trace this back is when the end of the last ice age or roughly about 20,000 years ago, the land bridge between Asia and Alaska melted and that kind of isolated the caribou on North America. Oh, so from the other reindeer right, population. Right, from the other population. So then they started to diverge. So we're still kind of in the middle of their, their – I mean, obviously, all animals are still evolving. We're still evolving. Mm-hmm. So I think caribou are, and reindeer – well, caribou specifically are still evolving away from reindeer. And if we came back in, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 years, forward. yeah, we would see kind of a different really specialized animal uh, for that part of the world. So really, really cool stuff. What we do know about the, the reindeer that were brought back to North America, I was reading one of these studies, is the uh, the reindeer actually don't do well in North America for whatever oh, reason. Is, yeah. This is not their forte. Yeah, they just don't. They, they, they tend not to survive as well in the wild. If they do pick up with a caribou herd for some reason, and maybe it's just because they're not with their own species or, or whatnot. Dietary, perhaps. Yeah, it's just they don't behavior. do well. Yeah, mm-hmm. they just said they don't Predators. do well. And their breeding season is different, too. They Reindeer actually come in, and you may talk about this in Repro, but they actually come into season earlier than caribou. So there's no crossbreeding. Okay. Yeah. yeah their their reproductive cycles are, are kind of synced not, differently. They're not matched. Yeah. So there's differences. There's differences for sure. And then we find this species all the way, you know, in all the different subspecies of reindeer and caribou. And how many subspecies are there? Oh, there's roughly a dozen. Okay. Yeah, roughly a dozen. So there's some different subspecies in Canada. You know, whether you're from British Columbia or all the way to Nova Scotia and then up in Greenland. And then there's different species of reindeer from, you know, Eastern Asia all the way to Northern Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, Finland and Sweden Russia. and stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's that's kind of where these animals are found in, in, in all the different subspecies. Now, in the beginning of the pod, we always like to try to describe an animal so you can get a visual. If you have no idea what a reindeer looks like, I don't know what to do or help you. <laughs> it's like... I will, you know, I think everybody has a general idea. idea. Yeah, okay. they have a general idea, but it's best if I think if we describe some of their specialized features right. that help them survive in the cold right. and fly Santa slick. Yeah, what's some of the cool stuff that they do. So you, you should kind of know, but it's like a, it's a, it's a big deer with huge antlers. Mm-hmm. Like huge. They're huge. Now, they are the only cervid, which is the deer family, where the girls... Have antlers. Oh my god. That's what makes them so cool. I've been sitting here on the edge of my seat dying to talk about their antlers. I will I will save that a little bit more for their um, behavior and reproduction section, but the girls are just as cool as the boys. I would say cooler. Yeah, okay. okay. And I will be able to defend that answer when I get to my section. (laughs) But yes, out of the deer family, uh, both males and females have antlers. Yes, that's crazy. I I, it's for most of the subspecies. There's there's a few subtle ones where the females may not grow that big of big of rack, rack or whatnot, right. but yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, it is cool. That's that's a very unique thing with them. Is uh, the, and there's the reasons why. So stay tuned okay. to find out. We're those. almost there. We're almost there. I will say this: uh, some of the differences in the different subspecies and um, the ones closest to the North Pole, so really high up in latitude, in the Arctic, right in the Arctic, they tend to be white, that and makes then the sense. ones in the lower latitudes, you know, lower Canada or lower Asia, they are darker brown, gray, yeah, I would probably say. Camouflage. Right. There. So you think about it, it's, again, how evolution, natural selection, whatever, you have these animals with the white coat surviving in the, in the great white north. 
and then the ones that are kind of in the forests and stuff and the taiga. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting. You know, again, evolution in action, so smart. science in action, biology in action, where the, the, the coats are. So some really cool pictures that, that we'll definitely post up on the, yeah, the show notes. If you haven't Google one, uh, they're super cute. Yeah, they're awesome. I, that's they're not, really su- that's not a very science thing to say, no, not very no. scientific, but they're very adorable and their feet are just precious. Yeah, I know. This is like, we'll talk about yeah, those in a little bit. They're but. really crazy. Well, and we love them. But. And as far as flying uh, animals yes. go, I would have to say rain, a flying reindeer, Santa's flying best, reindeer right. is the cutest. Yeah, the cutest thing you can see fly. The uh, the size, they're, they're pretty big, five feet at the shoulder or, you know, one and a half meters. So yeah, I think if we're, uh, for what we're used to here in probably Florida yeah. or even in, in Michigan where I'm from, our deer species are, are, are smaller. smaller. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit smaller. But as far as in the cervid family, they're probably medium size. Yeah, there's yeah. there's definitely a lot bigger. Yeah, bull elk ones. or big elk mm-hmm. or meese. Go back to the meese. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, that is not appropriate. The plural of moose is moose. Okay, so I'm just <laughs> joking around. But. but yeah, and I had the luxury of working with a species of deer called mm. the white-lipped deer, mm. and they're from Asia, and they're one of the biggest species. Oh, so wow, wow. our uh, species of deer, and so they the males weigh about. Mm, 600 pounds. Wow, that's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, these, the caribou can get up to 700 pounds. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's huge. Right. Reindeer are, are smaller, smaller, like four or 500 pounds. The females obviously are smaller than the males. Mm-hmm. And so the largest caribou females can get up to about 400 pounds. And then, you know, the, the reindeer f- females are probably like 260 to 300 pounds, you know, uh, a little bit bigger than me. They range, you know, again, Northern Asia, don't quite hit Mongolia. So that mid Asian, they're, they're just above that. So pretty, they, they pretty much stick to where it's cold. Right. If you just right. think of the top of the earth, right. the circumpolar, I think that's yeah. a word, circumpolar, polar. Yeah. The polar, <laughs> the polar <laughs> well, circle no. around right. the it, top. It circles around the top. That's yeah. uh, that's what I'm trying from. to get at. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tell I've been up doing research the past couple nights? Yeah. Late? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So they're, but they're found like all the way around. Right. Yeah. Mike, yeah. Mike yeah. and all the continents. Yep, yeah. yeah. all the continents. Asia, uh, Europe, and North America. I guess America. not all the continents, all the northern. Northern continents, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So the, that's kind of where they they range. And it's really crazy. Like reading about this stuff too is when they travel. Talk about, you know, obviously nutrition plays a big part of that. But they can travel up to 1,600 miles in a year. They are the 2, number. 2,500 kilometers. Got to get that in there. Yes, they are the number one animal for the longest migration. Right great distances for mammals. Yes. Yeah. Don't see that in Africa. Like, no, no, you know, they no. might go a hundred, a couple hundred miles, but not, no. you know, 1600. Yeah. They or, are going far, yeah. far, far. And that's not, once again, that's not for every subspecies. There's some that have been isolated right, in right. certain pocket populations mm-hmm. that aren't able to do this large migration for food in search of breeding. Well, they go in search of feeding and mm-hmm. then, and then breeding grounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the, the largest distance yeah, for, for a land mammal. Yeah, they really go far. I'm sure there's some birds that outcompete that, but for land mammals, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, it's the bird. super impressive. Yeah. Which also yeah. makes, I guess, makes a lot of sense. We're thinking of Santa's reindeer flying around the yeah, world one night. The world, They're yeah. like, this is nothing. Yeah, they got to make it. They got to mm-hmm. make it all the way around. They got the endurance, right? So where do they these come from? You know, just quickly, North Tibet is really where they kind of evolved about 10 million years ago. It's going to depend on species, you know, knowing their evolutionary history. So the cervid history is a little bit interesting. We don't know a lot compared to some other mammal species, but still kind of cool. And they're from North Tibet. And then these populations that got kind of isolated, you know, or went to North America, the moose, some of the white-tailed deer, 
and caribou and reindeer kind of evolved. And then the reindeer went back across the, the land bridge over into Northern Asia, Northern Europe, where they are, where they're found today. So that's just kind of a brief history. We can kind of pinpoint reindeer emerging about a million years ago. Okay. Uh, but th- it was weird because, you know, we, we always find tons of, of horse skeletons. Sure. They're one like that. The, yeah. They're like one of the best studied species. Mm-hmm. Not in deer, and some of the stuff I read, and maybe it's just because of the climate, but their bones don't hold up well. They don't fossilize as oh, interesting. well. And it's probably because it's colder up there and how the fossil process works. But that's why, you know, one of the papers I was reading was talking about how it's difficult to study deer evolution and right. skeletal stuff. So. Well, maybe with climate change, there'll be some melting yeah, and we can great. find more of their bones. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a whole. Uh, there's so much stuff with the the tundra melting and right i know we're finding mammoth carcasses and actually going back to elephants that chris has got to get his elephant well the mammoth tusks they're actually going to the tundra the melting tundra in siberia finding these tusks and selling them on the black market really yes so that is a a thing that is going on in siberia yeah it's it's horrible but you know, during the Ice Age, when it was much colder on Earth, they actually ranged as far south as Spain. Really? In Europe? Yeah, that's really cool. And then in mid-U.S., you know, mid-North America, Missouri, Oklahoma area, Nevada is where they said they've come. Man, I wish you could drive and see one of those guys, I know, right? I know. I know. They're really cool. So, again, today they, they live in the, the extreme north on the tundra. Cold, cold, cold. Right. And the tundra is basically no trees. It's just too cold. There's no trees up there. Maybe some scrub brush and things. And they have a very short growing season. And that's where they, they live. And this is... In a ve- very short daylight season. Yes. Yeah, so, we'll, I'll touch yeah. on that in my uh, reproduction black, section. Right? It's yeah. Like, yeah. They get a couple hours of brief sun. Yeah. That, that was what was cool about that repro talk I listened to a few years ago about caribou and day-night cycle and things. Yeah. Anyways, we'll get there. And so the taiga is the boreal forest or what they call a snow forest. So that has some trees. Yeah. Pines and spruce trees and, you know, and then obviously scrub brush and things like that. So, and that's kind of mid Canada, you know, or Canada, that is Canada, you know, that is pretty much most (laughs) of Canada and Alaska and and those parts. And then obviously North Asia and and Northern Europe, you know, again, that that's where they've kind of evolved. And I know, you know, especially with Santa, we'll get to his story. But reindeer have played really important roles in, in human history. Oh, yeah, Chris. I mean, honestly, the humans have been depending on either caribou, wild reindeer, since the middle of the Pleistocene. Yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> I, I you like say these evolution. words way better than I do. But yeah, it's believed that domestication started in the Bronze or Iron Age, mm-hmm. or for people who like numbers, 3,000 to 7,000 years ago. Oh, well, that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. And the Arctic peoples in Canada and the Yukon and all over have been either following these guys and depending on on them for food, Mm -hmm. clothing, shelter, and then once again working with semi-domesticating them. There's a lot of history there with them. I won't be able to cover all of it. They were used as pack animals Mm -hmm. in World War II. Which makes yeah, sense right. to kind of move supplies and whatnot through this cold weather and through the winter, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. I know you're the big war buff yeah. over there, his, war history buff. But I, I imagine that you know, in winter and cold weather, a lot of people slow down. Or, well, and horses it, it too. Yeah, horses. Some mm-hmm. horses are hardy, but yeah, they a lot of horses died. And, and yeah. right. And so if you're using a very highly adapted animal for winter, you probably have some kind of benefit over your enemy to right. be able to move supplies and do this right. and that. 
Um, and of course, in the Inuit cultures of the Arctic, there's so many mythological stories and art of reindeer playing just because it plays such a big part in, in their lives and helping them both as to transport goods, but then also as like we had mentioned food. So, and even to this day, besides being symbols and whatnot, they're currently uh, found on a Canadian quarter. But and then of course we all know the long term, you know, for a couple hundred years now, the history of reindeer and, uh, and Santa yeah. and, and that's definitely helped them out a lot in pop culture. I mean, you can't, you can't go into the shopping mall right. or a store without, or what, you know, through a Christmas season. Holiday without, season. Yeah. It's, it's literally my husband's favorite. The like the 1980s version of Rudolph yeah, with like best. claymation it's or something. Best. Yes. It's still one of the best shows ever made. <laughs> you, you yeah. too, bro. Right? Yeah. I'm a kid of the eighties. I know. I just, so yeah, I mean, we definitely, we, as a culture, we love these furry guys and all their, you know, and all the joy that they bring to hundreds and thousands of children over, you know, over the course of the, of the Christmas season. And then currently these guys are also a really valuable commodity as a semi-domesticated mm-hmm. species. And so and they play a, a big economical role, um, as far as meat. Yeah. Meat production mm-hmm. still- and fur. And, and still travel, right, in Finland mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. parts of, of that world. You know, and then looking at how they survive in the wild, and I know you're you're going to chime in here a little bit, but their life cycle, they live up to about 15. Yeah. Which isn't very long. No, in, in, in a captive setting, they might live a little bit longer, 16, yeah. 17. I think you yeah. maybe had um, a 20s, female deer yeah. of cervid species lived 18, 19. Right. Also, which is really cool that I read, uh, talking to one paper about eyesight. That, yeah, Chris, yeah. they have really interesting superpower eyesight. Yeah, they can see ultraviolet ranges that we can't. Correct. Right. So they have like Superman eyesight. Mm-hmm. They can't see through walls quite yet, but Not yet. they're getting there. Maybe. So maybe that's how Santa gets around, you know? Exactly. That's, I think that played into why he chose reindeer. Because, I think so too. You know, they can, they can really see really well. They can see different wavelengths of light that we can't. So there's mm-hmm. ultraviolet. I think that helps them survive in the Arctic. Sure. If you can imagine everything being white, you're white, the snow's white, yeah. it's snowing a lot that they think that that helps them be able, be able navigate, to navigate and right. find food better. Right, right. Get dig down. Now, which was really cool too, is you look at these hooves and I can't, you know, I'll definitely put something online because I didn't, yes, I will yes, definitely like blow this up. Please put some picture of their hooves. They're charming. Yeah. These even toed ungulates. I feel like I'm not, anybody who knows me knows I'm, I, I don't do fashion. I'm not a Fashion diva by no. in, in oh you quickly said <laughs> no, no there no, I see you're a zookeeper I'm a zookeeper that's what I'm an Amazon boy you my wife but I when I was looking at these feet I'm like this somebody should make a fashion boot styled <laughs> off of like the, the colors and the fur yeah. and how it like fly they're yeah. basically feathers over the hooves yeah. as an insulation but I just think they look really cool. Yeah. The specialized hooves are really cool because they, again, they use it to dig in the snow. And so they're like almost hollowed underneath to help. Maybe they throw snowballs, you know, reindeer games, but it helps them dig a little bit. Now I know you're going to talk a little bit about how they thermoregulate and then we can kind of get into the antlers, you know, looking at some of this thermoregulation. So that's how we maintain body temperature, right? Right. Like Cause we, your body always needs to stay at a certain temp, right? Right. Maintain homeostasis, make sure all of our organs function properly. If we get too hot or too cold, Organs shut down, we die. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the reindeer, they actually have a body temperature of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, much warmer than us. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost you know, almost like a horse because that's about the horse range too. Mm-hmm. 38 degrees Celsius. Okay. So they're maintaining a pretty hot 
body temperature. Especially if you're living in such a cold climate. Extreme, extreme cold climates. So a couple of things that they have is their noses have lots of blood vessels. And so they have this thing called countercurrent exchange. And not to get crude or anything with repro, but that is what we, I talk about all the time in testes, you know, Mm -hmm. how we maintain thermoregulation for, you know, uh, spermatozoa production in males. So there's this countercurrent exchange. So the way it works is you have cooler blood coming from the outside or from lower extremities. So they also have this in the legs. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine the legs, I think it's the easiest way to explain that, you know, not a lot of meat on the lower legs of, no. of a reindeer, you know, a lot of bone. So the blood that goes down there, cause there's a lot of circulation, especially into the hooves comes back and it's colder, right? right? Cause they're running in snow. It's freezing. So up there, there's a bunch of vessels wrapped around those returning vessels, smaller to, little like right, capillaries arteries and, and stuff mm-hmm. Yeah, that warms the blood as it comes back into the body. So that way there is no loss of body heat. So this countercurrent exchange. So in the nose, they have lots of blood vessels too. That as cold air comes in, it warms it up before it even gets into the lungs. Cool. So you imagine like when we're outside and it's super cold, it hurts to breathe. Sure. And that's the cold, right? And then, but then, but then you blow out, you ex, um, exhale so, the hot air, right. and you see the steam. Or right, right. you always know it's cold out when you can see your breath. Right. right. So yeah, especially here in Florida because it's rare for it to be cold. <laughs> so yeah, really, really cool ways they do that. And then you, you were also telling me about their, their coats. Yeah. They have kind of like two different layers, mm-hmm. which we've seen that in other cold, cold weather species of fur. And then also a lot of their hair is almost hollow mm-hmm. that will help trap in the cold too. Right. So it doesn't necessarily get, you know, so it doesn't cool them down cool them or off, right? vice versa. The warmth from their body Mm-hmm. stays stays in there. So that's yeah. how the two layers kind of interact a little bit yeah, differently. Yeah, so kind of keep that body temperature at the right temp. Mm-hmm. And you imagine, you know, I did read some, they had some really good mechanisms too on, you know, how they dissipate heat and maintain some of that heat. Because when they run or they're migrating, their body's producing a lot of sure. body heat. Sure, right. So how do so they hold to on to that? Yeah, it has to be mm-hmm. carefully balanced. So really, really neat animal. That has evolved to uh, survive in these environments. See, are you getting on board oh, now? No, yeah, smiling. Yeah, yeah. He's reindeer, smiling. Reindeer, guys. reindeer, are awesome. I mean, I mean, every animal we've covered, I love. I mean, even the the chicken. Yes. You know, we talk about I love chickens. <laughs> well, and I must admit, I obviously a hoof horn antler girl. Mm-hmm. Everybody who knows me knows that, and I also like to joke that if you don't know the difference between horns and antlers. I can't be friends with you. <laughs> well, you got to teach them. Here, teach them. No, no, and that's the that is the joke. Tell them what's the difference that between the horns and antlers. Um, well, first and foremost, horns you have for life, mm-hmm. and antlers you shed. Mm-hmm. So they regrow each year right. as you're an adult, and that's really. I mean, there's other subtle differences, but that's the main one. That to be my friend, that's the main one you need to know. Okay. Well, let me be corny, <laughs> Angie. So. How do these antlers grow? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Isn't it cool, though? It's so awesome. First of all. Yeah, it's really cool. First of all, there's actually a term for it yeah. called antlerogenesis. Yes. So yes. genesis usually means, like, growth. Growth, yeah. Um, Chris is a big fan of angiogenesis. Angiogenesis, he likes blood vessels. Blood um, vessel growth. That's some of the stuff yeah. he specialized in with his research. Um, but antlerogenesis is super cool, and it is a very, very fascinating thing. As I was preparing and being reminded of how awesome Randy are for for this podcast, I really dug into. I know I'm supposed to cover behavior and mm-hmm. and, uh, and 
reproduction, which I, I will get to, but I really got into the antler literature yeah, yeah. because Chris, when I, when I, when I got to work with the white lipped deer mm-hmm. um, at the zoo, I was fascinated year after year watching our two males grow these huge racks. Right, okay. Right. Huge. I mean, in each, each antler for these bad boys weighed probably about 15 to 20 pounds each. Yeah. So, you said they're one of the biggest deer in the world. Mm-hmm, right? yeah. yeah. So I think together the rack was probably about 40 pounds or right, so. Huge. 35, yeah, 40, 30 to 40. But I was fascinated by it as a young keeper. And clearly it was the beginning roots of my like physio- love for physiology. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I took on this project just out of curiosity where I, once the antlers started growing, I took a photo of it every week. Mm-hmm. The male in the same position. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the period when the antler was done growing, I put, put them all together like in a poster. Right. So you could really see week to week to week to week how impressive they this grew. is. Yeah. And so just to back up a little bit, these antlers is also one of the most exaggerated cases of male secondary sexual traits. Right. So we think of that being like a, a, in the bird species, a peacock, right? right? The male has these crazy big feathers. Or in humans, we have deeper voices <laughs> right? And big muscles. Right. Yeah. And that's all to like you yeah. know, catch and keep the female right, or whatnot. Right. So this deer family go and grow this impressive, impressive rack to fight off other males, mm-hmm. to win the female's love. Yeah, attract females. And – or multiple females mm-hmm. if they're lucky – and then after they breed, the antlers fall off. I'm okay, yeah. yeah, they're just so it's a really crazy cycle. And I was, fa- I've just, I've been, I was fascinated back then, mm-hmm. but now as a physiologist, I, my poor husband, yeah. <laughs> I'm up late at night reading like the <laughs> neuroendocrinology of antler yeah, growth. Yeah. I mean, it's, if, it's amazing. But it was, biology is awesome. I, so what? So guys, what antlers are? Of course, I mean, obviously, you know what an antler is, but basically, from the you know from from the top of their head, from their skull, mm-hmm. grows a a bony. It actually starts as cartilage mm-hmm. structure that grows really rapid once a year, and and it, as it's growing, it actually grows in what we call a velvet. Mm-hmm. And velvet is what velvet sounds like. It is. It's soft and fuzzy. Where I remember the male, I'd always bring him over and scratch his uh, uh, scratch his neck, so I could feel that soft that velvet. velvet. Yeah. And what the velvet does is it's it has special specialized tissue, but it supplies blood, blood and nutrients right. and oxygen to help this Broke. cartilage just grow like right. crazy. Right. I mean, crazy in this right. short amount of time. Right. And then once it, once the antlers reach their full potential, and that's going to, especially in males, it's going to increase as they get older. That's why for all my hunting friends out there, when they say, "Oh, you know, the deer had." this many points mm-hmm. or this many mm-hmm. rack mm-hmm. that's in most deer species, that's going to signal how old they are. Right. So the bigger right. or the bigger, the rack, the older they are and female. So in the reindeer case, the female reindeer, that's not necessarily the case. Her, she's not going to have as big of or impressive right. rack as the male, but anyways, it grows and this, this vasculized skin covered in velvet is going to eventually harden and then it's going to harden and then the deers are going to rub it off. It gets mm-hmm. kind of itchy. Yeah. And yeah, so there must be some off, kind yeah. of mechanism yeah. in there to help the deer. It's to... a little bloody too, right? Yeah. It's very bloody, yeah, which the crazy. first time I saw that as a young keeper, I'm like, that's not what I pictured. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then, you know, and then, and then what it is exposed is that cartilage is now hardened mm-hmm. into bone. Okay. So an antler is bone. Yeah. It's, it's hard. So yeah. if you think about 
that and a whole process. And maybe I'm just really dorky. Sorry well, to my are. poor husband. You are. You are. But we love you. But you are. <laughs> but, but no, but just think about the, the specialized cells and how much nutrition yeah. and uh, that takes to be able to grow 30, you know, 30 pounds of, bo- of bone. Right. And I did read a study that not just in reindeer but uh, or caribou, but also in other species too, that there's a direct correlation with diet and horns. Sure. So when they get more protein in the diet, you know, they have a higher plant of nutrition, mm-hmm. they'll grow a more impressive set of rack. Right. And it makes sense from a fitness point of view too. Like the females are going to want to be with the male that is the most fit. Yeah. And then, yeah, and if they are having a really hard winter or a really cold winter, they're probably not going to have as impressive rack because their nutrition isn't as great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but getting back to reindeer, so for them, their antlers can weigh about 33 pounds mm-hmm. or how many kilograms, Chris? 16. Very, 15. 15. That's uh, close. 15, yeah, 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm getting there. Okay, Chris. And so the next question is, is when, if these antlers are seasonal, they mm-hmm. grow seasonally, they're shed seasonally, different deer species are going to do it a, a little bit different mm-hmm. depending on the subspecies and or species. But for reindeer, the male antlers are going to grow, start growing in the little velvet buds mm-hmm. that are super cute uh, in March or April. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So now the females aren't going to start growing their antlers until about May or June, so summer. A little bit behind. A little bit behind them. Okay. And then they're going to lose them. The males are going to use them to help fight other males to win over the female. And that's going to happen in September or October. And then they're going to lose them pretty shortly after they breed the females. Whereas the females, if they're pregnant, if they're going to end up keeping their antlers mm-hmm. until they calf. So all through the winter. Yeah. So thinking about that and why female reindeer are so special is in December, the reindeer that have their antlers are technically females. Except Santa's. <laughs> Santa's reindeer are boys. I mean, Rudolph is a boy. Rudolfo, considering, or Rudolph, what's a female of Rudolph? Uh, Rudolfo. Rudolph. I mean, considering that Santa's reindeers don't get lost and they cover the whole world They're one unisex. night, I feel like it's going to have to be female because those are the only ones that would like stop and ask directions if they get lost. And <laughs> so, anyways, a fun little tidbit. Yeah. Um, so the technically if, to follow. So let me recap this. In December, mm-hmm. reindeer that don't fly lose males shouldn't have antlers. Correct. Females still have their antlers, but pregnant, only the pregnant ones. Pregnant females. Yeah, and non-pregnant cool. females uh, will probably have already dropped them. Yeah. And there's some physiological mechanism. That, That's really cool. It's really crazy, yeah. And the reason that they think that the females keep them, of course, they're still studying this, but that females who are pregnant need food, right? Mm-hmm. We love to eat, ladies, when oh, we're yeah. pregnant. Please eat when you're pregnant. I mean... So, Chris, the other really kind of cool thing tied with antlers, tied to antlers and physiology, is the fact that antlers, of course, in most species um, that were just the male mm-hmm. have them, they're very closely related to testosterone. Right. Right. The male hormone makes you strong. Yeah, it made and me tough. think about like why do the females get it? Mm-hmm. And so, and then so when they have surges of testosterone and stuff for fighting, and then those, and then they breed testosterone goes down that's when they will shed their antlers Mm -hmm. okay and that's not a super you know messy or bloody procedure they'll just kind of have a little bit of a an open kind of like like you skinned your knee it almost looks like and then it just you know grows over it and and then they're fine till the next till the next like however many six months till they start growing them again so if you think this whole process takes any, you know, where from three to six months, depending on the deer species, and it's just phenomenal mm-hmm. that they 
can put lay down that much bone bone yeah i mean that's just to me yeah yeah. so anyways that's my antler um thank you for those who have not fallen asleep (laughs) or crashed their car into something uh but the next time you see an antler you think of me okay and uh you know that i i want to learn more about them and it made me think about maybe i can do a postdoc and learning more about antlers i don't know if anybody cares yeah it's it's cool stuff i mean they you know the couple things that i wrote into was for reindeer or caribou their antler can be up to Four and a half feet. Oh in, yeah, in, in length. Yeah, and I know and then, that. Um, you know, or one point three five meters. Yeah. Sure, and I know that a lot of cervid species they actually have neck muscles mm-hmm. to help carry. I mean, I know the I mean, weight. Yeah. I carry around my baby who's twenty something pounds and very healthy and yeah. happy and heavy, yeah. and I'm carrying him like either in a backpack or a front pack. I couldn't imagine carrying him on my head. head. Yeah, yeah, Plus. really, yeah, really long. And then I guess moose only have larger antlers than than caribou and reindeer yeah yeah well and, and on a per size basis uh, the, the reindeer have one of the biggest racks compared to their overall body weight. right right so right. they're very strong yeah it's strong it's and a cute. cool it's a really cool ad- adaptation that that the species you know cervids that have evolved that versus say horns you know in the mm-hmm. In some yeah. of the bovids and the, the cows and, and the buffalo. And right. Like and if you're looking for some light Christmas reading this holiday season yeah. with your families, <laughs> just Google like neuro- antler genesis. <laughs> antler genesis or neuroendocrinology antlers. Yeah. And, if you need something to help you fall asleep. And send me, yeah, yeah. And, and send me a message and we can uh, yeah. jam about yeah. these guys. All right. Let's transition to, you know, the, uh, the antler stuff because the antler stuff is amazing. But a little bit about behavior. You know, okay. What, what's different about. Or what makes, I guess, this species special? Besides <laughs> pulling a sleigh, you know, you know those guys can't, are yeah, special. Yeah, they're super but strong. The other ones that that aren't uh, lucky enough to be part of Santa's. Well, team. yeah, I mean, I think we touched on it already, but just to reiterate that um, they have most subspecies have this uh, migratory behavior mm-hmm. where they're basically constantly in migration, longest migration of any land mammal yeah it's crazy over three thousand kilometers is what I was reading in some mm-hmm. um, and they do it. I mean, and I guess I can tie it into a little bit of nutrition, but they migrate because of the food, right? Of course, yeah. food and breeding grounds. Right, yep. breeding grounds, but just because if you think about the tundra, there is not a all-you-can-eat buffet no. around the corner no. like and the they, jungle. And these guys, you know, I love my, my horses just, you know, bend down and eat grass. Right. I mean, these poor critters are working hard for yeah. for the food they get. And, yeah. and I'm sure you'll talk about that with nutrition, yeah. but they're using their hoofs to dig in the snow. They're mm-hmm. using their um, – and that's why they think females might keep their antlers too yeah. to help besides for competition for food mm-hmm. to like show the other females like get out of here yeah, and pregnant. even males I like get out food. of here. Yeah. Like, And my husband knows that. Yeah, like, when, I'm, with you. <laughs> when I'm pregnant with my ice cream container, like back away, baby. Seriously. So that's what the antlers do with females. Yeah. But then they think the antlers, they also use them for to help dig in the snow for food too. He was crazy. Just to back up for a second, like thinking about you with the ice cream thing, like it's just weird, but it's humans. We never see. And I tell this, you know, to my students when I teach our instincts and stuff are working all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. And we don't know it. Like we're always constantly (laughs) evolving. Like my eyes, we're in a room in my house in Florida and I still am like peeking outside to make sure someone's not going to sneak up on us. Right. Because it's just instinct. Mm -hmm. Instinct. So when my wife was pregnant, I was like, with food, I wanted her to eat as much as she could. Like, I was the man bringing the food. Like, here, eat as much as you want. And then if she, like, put, took food off my plate or something, I wouldn't be like, oh, mine. Right. I'd be like, please, yes. eat and we as see the, the man. 
Now when she's not pregnant, I'm like, keep your hands off my plate. <laughs> I'll give my kids food, but I've already, I've already respawned, you know, yeah. my genetics. No, my That's husband, yeah. Me. No, on our first date, I was obviously not pregnant. Yeah. Um, on our first date, he warned me that one of his biggest pet peeves is if somebody tries to take his last bite of right. food, because he's, he's one of those people that saves the best bite for last, for last. which I just mix it all together. But he's one of those types, and so, and he, he, in a very kind way, told me he would stab my hand if I ever, <laughs> if I ever tried. Now, when you were pregnant, now when I was pregnant, he like, like the same thing was bringing me everything, and yeah, it was back to reindeer. Anyways, getting back to some cool, extra cool behavior things about uh, reindeer is well, they're besides migrating super crazy distances, they um, are very social, gregarious mm-hmm. species, are friendly to one another. Um, and they feed and travel, males, females, calves together, anywhere from groups of tens to tens of thousands. Million, yeah, a million. Mm-hmm. I, Millions, in yeah. Russia, the largest herd was about a million. And if you think about any of these herd animals, I'm a big, obviously, hoof horn and antler fan, that it makes sense in the fact that there's there's safety in numbers from predators, such mm-hmm. as like wolves mm-hmm. or bears. And one of the behaviors they'll do is if they – and a bear, is, a bear or a wolf is probably going to go after like a, a yearling or a mm-hmm. calf or something one. small. And what they'll do is the herd will kind of circle around the little one to help protect it. And it'll usually help scare off the the predator. predator. And so really some group, they get group benefits out of it. And they're also really curious animals, which I personally haven't worked with one. And now I'm like, can I just stop my life and go be a reindeer keeper? Like I am just in love, but they're they're very curious. And so for not for their benefit, they can easily be baited by hunters. Right. So you can just put some stuff out that they would go check out, and they'll go check it out, and there they are. Yeah. Um, where a lot of hoofstock animals are what we call flight animals, mm-hmm. so they're extra nervous and scared and not as curious about things. Mm-hmm. So they're a little bit different from other what I would think of other hoofstock. They're nosy. Yeah, yeah they're and nosy, we always yeah. talk about, you know... A big difference between like the horse species, which is a, a you know a classic flight animal, mm-hmm. to a to maybe like deer species, mm-hmm. is that sometimes you know because they have their antlers with if they have horns and antlers, they can be when they get scared, they can actually charge forward right. a little bit more because they know they're tough. Yeah, so they're a little less likely to run away from you. But yeah, the reindeer are friendly; they're going to come check you out and see what's going on. And then another really cool thing they have physiologically is they have some what we call nonverbal communications. Mm-hmm. In the knees of many species of uh, subspecies of reindeers, they produce a clicking sound. Mm-hmm. And all the deer I've always worked with, especially the males, make this clicking sound. And I originally thought, like, is this arthritis? Is mm-hmm. this not normal? But digging into the literature, it's actually very normal. The frequency of knee clicks is um, a range of signals that can establish dominance mm-hmm. positions mm-hmm. among reindeer. So the louder your knees click, 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 right, click, right. click, I guess means you're tougher. And this is actually caused by small tendons that slip mm-hmm. over bone protuberances in the sesamoid. How do you say that? So yes, yeah, sesamoid, sesamoid bone so in their feet. My, so I'm pretty tough. My knees click. If your knees are clicking, <laughs> old football. Exactly. Yeah, Watch yeah, out, yeah. ladies. His, his knees yeah, are clicking. Back in high school, yeah, college. So I thought that was really interesting because we always talk about the traditional, and and right. of course, reindeers make traditional vocalizations such as snorts, grunts, mm-hmm. something called a horse call, not mm-hmm. like a horse, but H O A R S. RSE. And, um, and then they can also make uh, honks and bellows, especially during breeding season. 
And then lastly, they have a furry scarf or dewlap of skin mm-hmm. that's under their throat. And this is a, like an, an inflatable pouch of skin that can help amplify the male's roaring mm-hmm. female, hey, ladies, look at me. If you'll bear with me, uh, I have a baby reindeer because oh, cool. if there's yeah. something different yeah if there's anything cuter than just an adult reindeer right. it's probably Snippy. a baby reindeer and so here's one making what's called a honking vocalization Uh, it's a little windy there, uh, Angie. Well, they are in the Arctic. Did Ar- you take that one? No, I know. Yeah, that's... They are in the Arctic, Chris. Yeah, so, so you can't hear it. But you can hear it in the beginning. Okay, yeah. Here, I'll try again. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> it's good, though. Yeah. Like, you were laughing about... turn this thing off? We were laughing about honey badgers and having to wear a cup. Uh, I, could you imagine being up there trying to study those guys? Yeah, I mean, you can't even really hear them because the wind is so loud. Yeah. And it just makes me cold thinking about it. Yeah. But these guys are super tough. And that mm-hmm. is, you know, I mean, that that's built into their DNA, right, mm-hmm. to be that mm-hmm. tough. No, and it's, you know, and then that, that's a perfect segue into nutrition and what they eat to stay alive. And I think the ones in the, in the tundra, it's just so tough. It's just so tough to survive in the snow. There's not a lot of plants, like I said, short growing season. So they survive off this stuff called lichen. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, what's lichen? They lichen the lichen. Lichen, lichen. Yeah. Sorry, I, mean, you know, I had what to get is, that joke in there. <laughs> what's the lichen? So it was like, it's really a composite organism of algae with fungus, mm-hmm. with fungi. And they live symbi- symbiotically. So it's this this growth that happens in the in the far north that they can search out and find and eat. And interestingly, they're the only mammal on earth that can eat this. Right, they're very specialized. Right, right. and they have uh, special bacteria in the gut that can digest this. Yeah, the the specialized bacteria secrete an enzyme called mm-hmm. lichenase. Lichenase, of course, okay. named yeah, after li- down, yeah. Normed ap- named after lichen. Right, and yeah, they're the only guys that have it besides like some gastropods or some other insects. Right, but yeah. as far as mammal goes, yeah. just rain. And that's how they survive. Like they, you know, and they. They're ruminant, so they're like a cow. They they digest like a cow, large stomach. They need a lot of food. A lot of food that just sits there and ruminates and bacteria grow and mix it. So they they estimate the adults reindeer eat about ten to twelve pounds of food a day or four and a half to five and a half kilograms per day. Or me yeah. at Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's us in a few days. <laughs> the American Thanksgiving, right? That mm-hmm. that's coming up. So yeah, that, that's pretty much how they they survive, and then in the the taiga, they or the taiga, they eat you know obviously some brush and leaves and grasses and things that are actually easier living there than I would think than the tundra. Tundra's sure, pretty tough, except in the winter, you know. Right, and they're probably going to eat that during the spring and summer right. when they need the, the most dense right. nutrition right. to raise right. their calves. And so, yeah, speaking of reproduction, as far as males and females go. Typically, reindeer are going to mate in September to early November. Mm-hmm. What we in the industry, what we call that, is a short day breeder. Mm-hmm. So uh, when the winter time, like right now, we all know it gets dark at like five o'clock and it's super annoying in the northern hemisphere. <laughs> in the where no- I'm going, correct. In, in uh, January, it's going to be summer. That's true. The opposite. Yeah, yes, in the, in the Arctic, yeah. in the northern hemisphere, depending on what. Uh, but for them, yeah. yeah, for them right now, like right now today. As we're recording this podcast, and we're actually going to release it in December, so it's actually cold, and it's mm-hmm. fall, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And that um, 
but with a shorter with a shorter day length, that's going to actually trigger uh, hormonally trigger a lot of cascades that tell these mm-hmm. males that it's it's time to breed, mm-hmm. and then it also tells the females that it's time to come into estrus, mm-hmm. and so females are not cycling year round. Right. Okay. That's a waste of energy. There's no need mm-hmm. to do that. So nature is smart. It condenses it into a few month period where they come into estrus or are reproductively active. active. Um, every 10 to 12 days or 12, right. 10 to 20 days, depending on the species mm-hmm. and until they get pregnant. And that's going to happen in, you know, September to November. Right. Okay. And then, uh, the other really interesting adaptation as far as reproduction is concerned is talking again about this light and dark cycle mm-hmm. that helps them trigger the fact that they're a short day breeder or they mm-hmm. breed during the winter and then they calf during the long days. Long days, spring. Summer. Okay. So their, their gestation period is going to be like, uh, seven to yeah, six months, mm-hmm. seven to eight months. Species, I think. Yeah. As a short day breeder, they're going to breed when the, when the days are short in the winter. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to give birth. The females are going to give birth when the days are long, which means we all love summertime. Yeah. Spring, summer, yep. Yeah. When that's when there's a lot more sunlight. Life and, and lots so, of life. Explosion, lots of life. Right? And Insects so, and food. And yeah. And so, yeah. and so they also have a really cool adaptation to the Arctic. Mm-hmm. which is they have lost um, – researchers are finding that d- uh, reindeer have lost their circadian rhythm, okay? And that's kind of out in the hot yeah. – hot, you know, it's kind of hot topics right now as far as this um, – there's a, a studies out there looking at what we call the clock gene. Yeah, so circadian rhythm for people that aren't science nerds like us, just kind of – you know, it's your body's natural cycle mm-hmm. and we – you know, you get used to – certain you, cycles like, sure. like right now it sucks but my kids are up at five in the morning and i am not a morning person and so but i am like wide awake at five thirty six o'clock my body turns on and says yeah, okay time to get up there's get certain breakfast. hormone surges cortisol surge in the morning yeah. i would rather sleep until 10 you know <laughs> it's impossible being a you know full-time i can't worker. even think of the last time i slept in that late no. <laughs> yeah one of my friends told me when you have kids just you're Forget never going to sleep it. again. Forget about yeah. it. But yeah, so your 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 natural body clock. Mm-hmm. And so us humans have that. Mm-hmm. And if even if you're living in Alaska or even further north mm-hmm. in the more Arctic regions, you still have your, your clock gene yeah. is still turned down. And that leads to depression too, right? And so yeah, a lot of people up there have issues with, depression. not a lot, but certain yeah, so, people have yeah. issues with depression and they'll use like sunlight, artificial sunlight mm-hmm. and whatnot to fix it. Well, reindeer don't have that problem right. because their clock genes, uh, scientists have found that their clock genes are turned off. Wow. So super cool, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, but they think that's because they've evolved to be in that region for so long. Yeah, like, we're so dark. Mm-hmm, yeah. Which you had talked 20 about. 20-something hours a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or during the, the summer, it's like 20 hours of sunlight. Right. So mm-hmm. how do you go to sleep when it's yeah. light out all the yeah, time? Yeah. But obviously reindeer, they got it all figured yeah. out, right? And so um, – Males and females are going to mature sexually when they're about a year old. But for males especially, they're not going to be successful breeders until they're about three years old or so because of other competition, right? The big, the other big bad bull is going to, he's going to get all the ladies. But the really cool thing about the males, which I'm just going to touch on because I'm a dork, is they're, when they're in their breeding season, there's a specialized term for it and it's called rut. Mm Mm-hmm. R-U-T, and it's Latin for roar. Because <laughs> they are, if you've ever seen a male deer, whether it's on YouTube or at a yeah. zoo, or I got to work with them. When they are in rut, they are just tough guys, yeah, like extra like, tough. Look at me. Look at me. The... They'll charge the fence at you. Even my like best, you know, boy deer yeah. friends that I love, that I trained and worked really closely yeah. with on a daily basis. 
They would still, you know, they don't miss them. Yeah, yeah. they were pretty tough during rut. And what that is is it's basically more testosterone, mm-hmm. and then that's you know, um, and it increases aggression and interest in females. Mm-hmm. And sounds like musk and it is exactly yep. Yeah. And that's going to coordinate the rut's going to coordinate when they strip the velvet off their mm-hmm. antlers and the mm-hmm. bones exposed and they are hot to trot and ready to go. And when this happens, they actually will go off food. Right. And so being a zoo specialist, my first season working with him, I'm like, oh my gosh, why is he eating? eating? Yeah, you know, yeah. he doesn't care about food. Like yeah. everybody loves food, but that's a very normal behavior for them that they, their neck swells or stomach draws in. They grow a mane under their necks a little bit and they just want to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now let's be serious here. And yeah. so, um, and then regarding the females, they, they're going to gestate for about 230 days. And so a baby's going to be born about seven months right, seven after months. breeding. Yep. And, or they give birth in the spring, May and June. And a female was going to, will travel to like an isolated area that, to get away from mm-hmm. predators and whatnot. And hoofstock calves are probably some of the, well, I'm obviously biased. Cheetah cubs. Uh, besides being cute. No, no, they're just really, yeah, no, they're really they stand within 10 yeah, minutes to an it's, hour. It's, it's crazy. And are basically like running right that alongside day. mama the next day. Yeah. Or I mean, within a few hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The physiology yeah. behind that to me is a whole nother podcast. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it, I spend a whole day in, in a class talking about like baby foals and, and how they're up and running with the herd within four hours. And they have to, for predator's yeah, sake, they just, just then they're survival. tough. But you know, I think of my, you know, my, my 14 month old, I mean, granted he's pretty active for a 14 month yeah. old, but you know, it's a many baby steps to get yeah. to where he is now, which is kind of like running. Yeah. yeah kind of running, kind of yeah. falling down. Yeah. yeah. So conservation status, you know, just to kind of keep this podcast upbeat, but you know, climate change is affecting the poles more Big so time. than the equator. Yeah. Actually, that's where a lot of, we're seeing a lot of horrific climate change. So there it definitely is a huge impact and, you know, maybe we talk about polar bears or something. We'll, We'll discuss or a penguin species. We'll discuss the impacts of climate change in those polar, polar regions. But these caribou, at least, and then reindeer, the wild populations are in decline. So Absolutely. about 40% decline in 10 years. So that's mm-hmm. not good. Not good. Now, really important part of the podcast of the week. Any organizations that you'd like to, to shout out to? Absolutely, Chris. There's a couple organizations I selected this week um, that have to do with the reindeer caribou mm-hmm. family. Like you said, they're overall, they're, I think the IUCN rates them as vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So not endangered or critically right. endangered. However, individual subspecies of wild reindeer and or caribou, I mean, some of them are experiencing a lot of issues. Yeah, huge decline. And so as certain sub, sub, subspecies are quote unquote critically endangered. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I want to focus in on the mountain caribou. And with these guys, they're critically endangered. There's less than 1,500 yeah, in the wild. That's a really small population. Yeah, and they're um, they're in like northern Canada, and there's little subpopulations where there's only like 30 or 40 of them. So a group called Wild Sight. You can go to www.wildsite.ca um, for Canada. And what they do is they are actually working on the legal side. Hmm. of trying to help restrict lands and work together with different organizations in order to preserve their habitat and to keep them listed as an, you know, endangered species that needs our saving. And so it's, we don't usually talk a lot about the legal side of things, but that's a really important aspect of it to, to get basically like lobbyists and government to Mm -hmm. like pay attention. Mm -hmm. So if you go to their, um, their website, there's a lot of information there that you could explore and learn more about these mountain caribou. Uh, There's a mountain caribou recovery team. 
that help to, to, to save them. And then also there's another great organization called Conservation NW. So you can just Google Conservation N, the letter N, and then W.org. And that's, once again, out of Canada. And they work closely with some of these other NGOs to help protect the mountain caribou mm-hmm. and to help and to preserve their unique forest habitat. Right, right. So check those guys out. They're doing really good work. They're on the ground. And yeah, they're we fighting. always link these in the show notes. So. Yeah, they're fighting for these mountain caribou that are, you know, they're our neighbor here in Florida, right? right? And, right. Um, and, you know, there's less than 1,500 of them. So I definitely want to see more of those. Someday it'll be on my bucket list to right. go up and, and the Rocky the Mountains and maybe yeah. see those guys. Yeah. So, what we promised, Santa and his reindeer. Yay, story time. Kind of just, you know, to end this podcast a few days before Christmas. In looking at the history, you know, having to find uh, the history and documentation of when did Santa really transition to reindeer? Yeah, and why reindeer? Right, why reindeer? He initially, you know, ancient cultures, he was St. Nicholas. And still some cultures recognize him as St. Nicholas, but here in in the Western, or at least in the United States, we were him to as Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. So that's what we started calling him. So he used to just travel around with a white stallion with one sleigh. And that was fine for, you know, a smaller population of people in Europe and, and around the world. Yeah, a little bit of horsepower. Is right. Good. So he had a little bit as our population's gotten bigger, which we've talked about in this podcast, but really in the last couple hundred years, he needed some more oomph. Yes. So Santa or St. Nick was in, you know, he was in a, a car shopping mode, which was back <laughs> then the... You know, different animals were for cars, and in he he actually came across, I guess, some reindeer in Finland and, and Norway on his travels, and he was like, "Let me try these guys out." And he actually found that really they were they they're more superior to pulling a sleigh than a horse. Absolutely, they're so, adapted for right. It. So he decided, especially since he lives at the North Pole where it's cold, they do much better than horses. So the first time that it was documented, somebody spotted Santa and his reindeer was William Guiley. In the United States in 1821. And so he wrote a little uh, a note where he said, Old Santa Claus with much delight, his reindeer drive this frost night over chimney tops and tracks of snow to bring his yearly gifts to you. Not much of a rhyme. No, I was waiting <laughs> I for the that, hook. <laughs> I know. So that, I guess that was in the newspaper. But that, that's the first historical documentation of, of Santa being sighted. With reindeer. Very cool. So then it was a couple years later that people were starting to try to catch Santa with his reindeer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have camera phones back then or things like that. So there was a gentleman that I guess he was, he was hiding out and he saw Santa one night. And so he captured Santa's words and it was, he titled this thing called Twist the Night Before Christmas, which, you know, you can go back and look and that first came out in 1823. Wow. So this was really when Santa, it was documented that, yeah, Santa definitely uses reindeer. And he wrote, when what to my wandering eye should appear, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a, in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his corsairs they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer. Now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blixen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. And so that is the first historical documentation of Santa actually being seen with his reindeer. So now you know the history 
of uh, Santa and when he transitioned. So it's been about 200 years where he's been using reindeer. Now, when Rudolph came in, that's a whole other podcast. You know, you go watch the the, the clay animation. The clay animation. <laughs> that's the story of Rudolph. All giggle. Yeah, my yeah. husband's favorite. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, how Rudolph and his red nose and that one year when Santa was. He needed him that yeah, year. when he was lost. So, some conservation tips from us is this holiday season, I would highly recommend that you leave carrots out for Santa because the reindeer love carrots. And, they, and it's good for their eyes, right? Good for their eyesight. And, you know, Santa needs a diet. Don't let him oh, – I'm sorry. I just got on the bad list. Give Santa cookies. Okay, don't give him – leave the carrots for the reindeer and then some cookies for Santa. Santa, I love you uh, if you, if you want to be healthy. But in our calls for action for a must, just happy holidays. Have a safe, uh, wonderful – Holiday season with your family. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, whatever you celebrate this holiday season, you know, uh, thank you for joining us. Celebrate reindeer. Yes. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you next pod. You better you watch listening. out. Bye. You better not cry. You better not pout. I am telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Making a list is checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping, sleeping. and he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off 
U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.